the young and the restless. Crowd control concerns prompt new COVID measures. We are now amending the provincial health order to put in place more restrictions. Roadmap for September. Now we're seeking to move ahead to uh, having kids back in class uh, full time. A hint of what's to come in the back to school plan and cut off from their home country. The depression is mounting in a lot of my community members. A plea from Point Roberts to the prime minister and the president. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. We are now amending the provincial health order to put in place more restrictions, more things that will help us control those environments and make them safer. All patrons must now be seated at a designated seat. There's no liquor self service or dance floors. And measures need to be in place to reduce lineups and gatherings and pressure points. Changes in the requirements for events, as we call them, have also been made to further reduce the potential of transmission in these higher risk environments. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC's top doctor bringing in new rules as we learn close to 1,000 British Columbians are now isolating at home in light of that recent COVID-19 outbreak in Kelowna. And that troubling news comes as case numbers rise again in this province. We have 34 new cases, bringing our total to 3,362. The good news, no new deaths again today, so that number stays at 189. 17 people are are in hospital, three in ICU, 2,888 are considered recovered, leaving BC with 285 active cases. That number is up by 19. There is growing outrage online tonight over a large gathering at a Vancouver beach. Multiple videos circulating on social media show revelers ignoring physical distancing protocols. As John Hua reports, with BC's curve trending upward, there are mounting calls to double down on how public health orders are enforced. Holy crap. An evening jog posted on social media shows a blatant lack of social distancing. I have not seen this before on a Tuesday night. Good Lord. This runner wades through an ocean of people flooding the path while grooving to a drum circle at Third Beach. It's very obnoxious to block the sidewalk. That's not cool. Videos like these just part of the concern centered around people in their 20s and 30s driving up the curve of COVID-19 cases in British Columbia. This really can um, knock you flat on your back for a long time, even if we feel like we're young and healthy and we're going to be just fine. Municipal authorities pointing to the province for enforcement. The Vancouver Park Board stating the drum circle held last night at Third Beach is an unsanctioned and unpermitted event. The Park Board does not have an ability to enforce any physical distancing recommendations. We are concerned about the potential risk to individuals who participated. We know that it can be transmitted when you're having close conversations, um, talking, laughing with large numbers of people, even if it is outside. The province will be tightening regulations for businesses like resorts, events and nightclubs, where people will be tempted to meet in large social gatherings. Particularly after they've had a few drinks and it's late at night. So we're putting in those things now. While most businesses continue to operate within the restart recommendations, according to WorkSafe BC as of July 3rd, 1,700 reports of potential violations have been sent in and 12,000 COVID-19 related inspections have been conducted. WorkSafe has issued 334 orders for non-compliance, but has forced no work shutdowns. 
While the focus seems to be on education, not enforcement, posts like these are proof people need to get back in sync with social distancing measures. If BC hopes to beat down this climbing COVID curve. John Hua, Global News. Kelowna's mayor has a message for visitors after dozens of COVID-19 cases have been connected to the community. So far, 70 cases of the virus have been linked to Kelowna, causing concern for public health officials. The mayor says City Hall has been fielding calls from concerned residents about out-of-towners, who they say are ignoring safety measures and trying to balance those fears with business owners who rely on visitors. When you're coming to visit Kelowna, Don't come here to make new friends, know who's in your circle, but don't expand it beyond that and act as if this is your home too. So please don't come here and party without a care in the world and pretend like this is a COVID-free bubble, which we know now it's not. And also just assume that if you are coming here, the party or the group of people next to you, somebody in that group has it. So take the necessary precautions that you would if that was in fact the case. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more. Keith, as concerns grow about the seemingly casual attitude some people have mm-hmm. slipped into uh, when it comes to this pandemic, how is that affecting what we're seeing when it comes to where cases are popping up? Yeah, we're seeing a noticeable shift in the last couple of weeks, uh, Sophie. Uh, prepared a table here to take a look at in terms of where the active cases are around the province by health authority. Uh, Fraser Health Authority, of course, has been where most of the virus has been since the beginning of the pandemic. That continues to be the case. 117 active cases, an increase of 25 since June. Vancouver Coastal, not really growing at all. Only 10 in the last few weeks. Vancouver Island, a bit of a spike. Northern Health. But take a look at this number. This is the interior. 81 cases. That's an increase of a whopping 79 cases since uh, the end of June. An example, again, what can happen when you get a situation such as the Kelowna exposure. Now, speaking of the Kelowna exposure event, uh, where about 80 people have tested positive there for the virus, they've now all gone home, uh, either in Kelowna or in in the Okanagan or into Vancouver Island, Vancouver, uh, Surrey, wherever they live, and they've gone into their homes and they've exposed people there to the virus and causing now a 1,000 people, along with associated with other events, to self-isolate in the home, and that takes them out of the workforce point made by Dr. Bonnie Henry today. As a direct result of the recent community exposures in Kelowna, there are now close to a thousand British Columbians in every health authority who are self-isolating at home because they have been exposed to somebody who has been positive for this virus. These means people, this means these people are unable to work, to see friends, to leave their home, to enjoy the summer like the rest of us. So you can protect yourself and your friends and loved ones by protecting their household bubble, keeping those bubbles small, making sure you're not exposing lots of people. So this is a graphic example of what can happen if you break the rules, you can end up hurting people who haven't broken the rules themselves because you expose those people to the virus. Another briefing tomorrow, uh, we're going to get more details on the new restrictions, particularly or potentially for some of the new restrictions that will apply to the central Okanagan only. That's at 1230 tomorrow. Mm. We'll be carrying that live on Global Noon News. All right, we'll look for you then. Thanks, Keith. We are still a week away from seeing the provincial government's back-to-school plan, but BC's education minister says he's now focusing on a full return to classroom learning. As Richard Zussman reports, that would go against the wishes of a majority of parents polled who want both a hybrid classroom model and mandatory face masks. Schoolyards right now have that July feel. Kids replaced by farmers' markets. But come September things are expected to quickly return to a semblance of normal. 
I think we want to move forward and have more kids uh, involved in in-class instruction on a full-time basis. The strongest indication yet from the province, the goal is to have as many kids back in BC classrooms come fall as possible. We're aiming and certainly we've given um, you know, parents uh, the consideration that you know, certainly for elementary and middle schools, uh, we, we would like to see schools open 100% for all students. The province is set to make the official announcement next Wednesday. This comes after Leger releasing a poll showing a staggering 76% of parents in BC support a hybrid model, well above the national average. The survey also showing huge support for mandatory masks at school, BC and Ontario leading the way with support over 70%. But Dr. Henry ruling it out. There will not be a mandate for kids to wear masks at schools. We know from the evidence around the world that, that that's not one not needed. There are still a lot of conversations underway with people involved in the education system, including teachers who are concerned about workload during the voluntary return to the classroom in June. We need to better support both teachers um, and students and families um, so that everyone can um, access education in a way that is sustainable. One of the worries about a hybrid model where kids spend some days learning in class and some days learning virtually is a total lack of childcare spots for kids if they're not in the classroom. We will be looking at all the opportunities including part-time spaces and flexible ways to be able to fund childcare services. The province is still grappling with how to ensure physical distancing amongst kids in a full return to class, and the door remains open to change, especially if COVID-19 cases continue to climb. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A man has now been charged in a shocking assault on a senior in Vancouver that was caught on security video. It happened back in March. The 92-year-old man who suffers from dementia had wandered into a convenience store. Police say another man began berating him with racist remarks, including comments about COVID-19, and then forced him out the door and pushed him down on the sidewalk. Luckily, the senior wasn't seriously injured. The Crown now says Jamie Allen Besenson has been charged with assaults. It's unclear when the U.S.-Canada border will reopen to non-essential travel, and that uncertainty is prompting Point Roberts fire chief to demand swift action. He says the small American enclave caught up in the politics of the pandemic has become isolated. As Catherine Urquhart reports, he's now pressing for an urgent solution. Our economy is pretty well close to zero. Point Roberts Fire Chief Chris Carlton speaks to a group of people visiting along the Canada-U.S. border. He says his community is suffering and he's worried. You know, the community is, is noticing, uh, especially on the aspect of mental health, it's starting to really weigh on people. And uh, that's what's going to become maybe a small humanitarian crisis. For the past four months, this tiny exclave spanning less than five square miles has been isolated. Americans trapped there as it's disconnected from the rest of the United States. Canadians with summer homes unable to check on them. It's the being enclosed, being, I can't leave here. It's not a good feeling. Chief Carlton says having the border closed to all but essential travel has had a devastating impact. He's pleading with Canadian and American authorities to give Point Roberts special consideration. 
relaxing the border restrictions that we currently have to allow open transit through Canada so we can get to our country and uh, transit to do shopping that we don't have uh, to get necessities of life. And I know that's been an issue with some Canadians that they're not allowed into Point Roberts, but they would be allowed at the same time to come down and help maintain and bring a little uh, commerce into uh, our economy. Delta's MP, Carla Qualtro, told Global News, we continue to work very closely with the United States on issues around our shared border. We will also continue to do what is necessary to keep Canadians safe and will base our decisions on the best public health evidence available. Public safety and health is priority number one. I want the border to open, but we have to make sure that British Columbians are safe and the residents on the other side are safe. Right now, I think the sentiment from the public is, keep it closed. Point Roberts hasn't had a single case of COVID, but as numbers in the rest of the U.S. skyrocket, it's understandable most want borders closed. But the fire chief maintains Point Roberts is a unique situation, one in desperate need of a unique solution. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A contentious bylaw that restricts camping in Squamish appears set to be expanded. Council voting on an amendment that would ban unauthorized van life or camping within the district of Squamish. As Grace Key reports, while those in favor say public safety takes top priority, it's unclear what will happen to people living in their vehicles. Bob Munnery is on a pension and has lived in his camper for the last couple of years in Squamish, most recently near the Sandman Hotel, a hotspot for campers. I lived here 40 years and used to be able to I could afford it. Soon he may have to move on. On Tuesday, council voted 43 to give three readings to a bylaw that would prohibit camping in a public space in the entire district of Squamish. Low-cost campgrounds, including a subsidized municipal site, are available. We're not sending bylaw officers around to every you know, part of our community knocking on windows. and We simply don't have the human resources to do that. We're really focusing on where we get complaints and... Um, and where we think there's a, a public health hazard. Last year, camping was banned in a problem spot around the estuary and Mamquin River Forest Service Road. There was great discussion amongst, I felt, amongst all the councillors and amongst staff about all the additional work we need to do to really affect this problem. And we were asked to expand the bylaw without any of that work being accomplished. Prior to the pandemic, Squamish can see up to 3,000 vans camped out every summer. Some are tourists, for others it's a lifestyle choice. And then there are those who simply can't afford anything else. The mayor acknowledges this isn't the perfect solution for everyone. It doesn't necessarily address the needs of those folks that live and work here in their vehicles. Uh, and I'll acknowledge that and, and we're looking forward to extending the conversation in the fall. And I don't think that um, someone's uh, choice of living should be vilified out, outright. Now, poor behavior amongst that, amongst that, that group, that's, that's different, but um, we really need solutions for those people that live and work here. In the fall, a staff report will be released that will take a deeper look at this issue. The bylaw will be up for adoption on Tuesday. Grace Key, Global News. A devastating loss for Abbotsford Police. We've walked this journey before, and I pray we never have to walk it again. A veteran officer succumbs to injuries in an off-duty attack. How the force is dealing with another tragedy just ahead. A dramatic rescue from a burning building. How everyone survived, coming up on the news hour. Plus, amazing video of an eagle out for a swim. What it was doing later.
Right now, though, a sentencing hearing has begun for the young man convicted of one of the most violent crimes in Vancouver history. Rocky Rambo Waynam Kem was found guilty of first-degree murder in the deaths of Diana Maud Jones and her husband Richard Jones. As Rumina Dea reports, the court today heard heartbreaking victim impact statements and a stark warning from the Crown. Diana Maud Jones's younger sister Sharon finally gets her day in court. I never had a chance to say goodbye or tell her I loved her. Another victim impact statement, the security and peace of the Ma family has forever been violated. Diana Ma Jones has demonstrated creativity and an award-winning healthcare hero and tireless volunteer. Your troubles away. A dedicated dancer and fearless adventurer. That's how Ma Jones's dance group described their close friend to the court. I'm so inspired by her independence, her braveness, uh, how fit she was. The killer unmoved as family and friends described their pain, fear, and obliterated sense of security. Rocky Rambo Waynam Cam, a university graduate with no mental health or criminal history, slashed 68-year-old Richard Jones more than 100 times and cut the throat of 64-year-old Ma Jones in the couple's home in 2017. She would have fought till the end. She was ferocious, but only ferocious when she had to be strong. But at least say you're sorry. For what? For what? Crown questioning Cam's prospects for rehabilitation, saying he shouldn't get a volume discount on a double murder. He was hunting for a victim to kill. He represents a danger to anyone who crosses his path in the community. Utterly devoid of mercy, Daniel Mulligan told the court. Crown is trying to convince the judge the first-degree murders were independent of each other, even though they occurred in the same house, therefore warranting a consecutive sentence of 50 years behind bars before eligibility for parole, instead of just 25 years. If it's the two sent two life sentences it's to me it's fair because there are two lives lost defense arguing just because there's no motive it doesn't mean you lock cam up and throw away the key until he's 75 before parole is even considered glenn Orris telling the court it's extremely important to find out why cam did this through programs in prison in order to make society safer sentencing continues thursday ramina dea global news Bridge Meadows RCMP are looking for witnesses and dash cam video of a crash that killed a 24-year-old cyclist. Friends have identified the victim of this crash as Montreal resident Daphne Tumbanakis. She's described as an avid long-distance cyclist and had just set out for a planned two-month cross-Canada ride. The collision involving Tumbanakis and a grey Ford F-150 happened at about 5.45 Monday evening on the Lougheed Highway between 240th Street and Spillsbury Street. Police are asking any witnesses who saw either the cyclist or the pickup in the minutes before the crash or who have any pertinent dash cam footage to get in touch with them. The city of Abbotsford is in mourning tonight after another tragic loss for its police department. Constable Alan Young, who was critically injured last week while dealing with a disturbance while he was off duty, passed away Tuesday night. Nadia Stewart reports. We've walked this journey before, We've, and I wish we, I pray we never have to walk it again. 
Flags fly at half-mast outside the Abbotsford police station as the force mourns the loss of one of its own. Certainly a very sad and heavy day for us with the loss of Constable Alan Young. Um, you know, we've been managing this over the last several, you know, last several days and, and it's weighed heavy on us. The department says Constable Alan Young died peacefully on Tuesday night. He was surrounded by family. The 55-year-old officer was off-duty in Nelson, B.C. on July 16th when Nelson RCMP believe he approached someone who was causing a disturbance. There was an altercation and the officer was injured. I hit a cop with a off-duty cop with a skateboard. Uh, I, don't, I don't know exactly what happened between them, but definitely, I definitely didn't call for that, man. A 26-year-old man was arrested, but no further details have been released. Now the focus is on Young's fellow officers and his family, supporting the family as they heal and officers as they grieve and cope. Our community has been outstanding, amazing the support, and as well as our policing community. I cannot tell you that every single person in this department, the, the support that they've received uh, has been just amazing and it does help and make a difference. No information has been released as yet about when Young will be laid to rest. Nadia Stork, Global News. Just ahead, a fight for survival in the Fraser Valley. This is a symbol of what we need to protect in the Fraser Valley. Little lives like this. The dangers posed by American bullfrogs and why humans are partly to blame. And later, unmasking the myths about masks. What the experts say about all those health claims. Traffic is still a little slow on Highway 1 eastbound through Coquitlam here after clearing a truck on fire off to the right shoulder. The lineup starts around Brunette and the truck is just past King Edward. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $17 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 1 in Coquitlam. Incredible video to show you of a bald eagle swimming off the coast in Lanceville. Marianne Goher and her husband were out canoeing when they witnessed this scene. They say the eagle crash landed in the ocean after diving in for prey. They didn't know if it could swim, so they followed it. Thankfully, the bird did know how to swim and eventually made it to shore. Conservation groups are sounding an alarm about alien invaders in the Fraser Valley that could devastate the local ecosystem. Giant American bullfrogs have voracious appetites and can easily eat native animals. As Linda Aylesworth reports, part of the problem is caused by human activity. So just coming out of the wetland right now, the western toadlets. Biologist Alicia Switzer is dedicated to the preservation of this little toad, a species native to BC with a precarious future. For the last 10 years, the Fraser Valley Conservancy has been involved in trying to protect the western toads and the other amphibians from getting smushed on the roads. And so they built a tunnel to allow the toads safe passage from the water to the woods. But now there's a new threat in this East Chilliwack wetland. Now American bullfrogs have recently moved in. People will collect tadpoles or small frogs, not knowing that they have invasive species on their hands, and move them to different areas. And that is bad news, because bullfrogs have big appetites. This huge mouth on these frogs allows them to just grab other frogs, even adult frogs, little mammals, turtles, ducklings. 
And while bullfrogs, the largest frogs in North America, have some predators here, it's not as many as is needed to keep the population in check. When I see the herons catching them, and you think they're something like a salamander, and you find out, no, that's a bullfrog tadpole. Like, it's just unbelievable. And so the chorus of local frogs, like this charming little tree frog, are increasingly being replaced by this. In an effort to slow the trend, the Fraser Valley Conservancy has created the Frog Finder program, which asks the public to help them keep track of the invasion. Learning to identify bullfrog, western toad, red-legged frog is one of the best things that people can do. And do not move any frog from one wetland to another. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Just ahead, debunking the mask myths. That really doesn't make any biological sense to me. We put the claims to the test as the mask debate grows. Plus, today I wrote a check in payment of $41,366. The finance minister's surprising revelation about what he owed to the WE organization. Well, the good news is just now cleared a crash in Richmond. It was westbound on the east-west connector near 8 Road. This is the bad news. The leftover volume backed up solid from Westminster Highway. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the east-west connector in Richmond. Canada's finance minister is apologizing today for family travel expenses that were covered by the WE organization. Bill Morneau says he has repaid more than $41,000 to the charity for trips he and his family took back in 2017. Global's Abigail Beeman has the latest on the growing controversy. Bill Morneau told the committee about two family trips to WE schools to Kenya and Ecuador in 2017. He says he paid $52,000 in personal expenses, but couldn't find receipts relating to WE programming. Today, I wrote a check in payment of $41,366. I expected and always had intended to pay the full cost of these trips, and it was my responsibility to make sure that was done. Not doing so, even unknowingly, is not appropriate. I want to apologize for this error on my part. Morneau also told the committee his family has made two $50,000 donations to WE, one in 2018 and one in June of this year related to COVID-19. The same month, the Prime Minister announced that WE would leave the $900 million student grant program. Morneau said he has asked the Ethics Commissioner to look into the new information. The Conservatives are asking him to resign. The average Canadian living in Red Deer or Halifax that goes on a trip would notice if there was a, say, a $400 expense that they didn't pay, maybe a hotel room for a couple of nights that never got charged them, and they paid immediately. But you're telling me that on this obviously very luxurious trip, that $41,000 of expenses happened right under your nose, and you didn't know about it until it suddenly, through an epiphany, came to your attention the very day you were to testify in a parliamentary committee about it. If you don't really remember the Conflict of Interest Act, you remember the Aga Khan ruling by the Ethics Commissioner, because it seems that he made direct rulings about a situation that you are now in. Isn't there someone in your office who would tell you 
come on, minister, <laughs> these are the these are the rules. These, these this is the law of the land. It applies to you as well. And now we know Justin Trudeau will occupy the same hot seat. His office confirming he will testify at Finance Committee, which had been an outstanding question. It's a very rare thing for a sitting prime minister to do. The timing is still being worked out. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. A dramatic scene caught on video in southeastern France. Two young boys jump from a window when fire engulfs their flat. A warning, the pictures are hard to watch, but everyone is okay. Well, as you just saw there, the two brothers, aged 3 and 10, were hanging from a window as flames engulfed their home and onlookers below screamed for them to jump. One rescuer suffered a broken arm from catching the children. Thankfully, both boys only suffered smoke inhalation. No word on the cause of the fire. In Health Matters tonight, Calgary is joining the list of jurisdictions making masks mandatory in all public indoor places. But those mask mandates have been met by protests in cities across the country. Demonstrators claiming masks don't help and may even harm. Global's Jeff Semple asked the experts for help with some mask myth-busting. It's fast become a familiar sight. Across the country, marches against mandatory masks. I'm just tired of all the conflicting information that we're getting from different uh, sources. And he's not wrong. A quick search online turns up a ton of conflicting claims. Warnings that masks weaken your immune system, increase toxins and carbon dioxide, and decrease oxygen, causing brain damage, even death. That really doesn't make any biological sense to me um, and it's ironic because actually COVID uh, does decrease oxygen absorption. COVID causes brain damage. So this is an oxygen sat probe. We put that theory to the test, checking my oxygen levels while wearing a surgical mask, then a regular cloth mask, and finally a medical grade N95 mask. And 100%. As you can see, the oxygen saturation doesn't change whatever mask you're wearing. I even tried wearing all three masks simultaneously. At 99% with all three masks. They're not comfortable, but... (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Thaslim Nimji and her colleagues wear masks all day, every day. For long procedures, surgeons and, and those in the room are wearing masks and able to perform your surgery without any concern about their own safety. On this Canadian Facebook page, users share tips on how to circumvent mandatory masks and claim the virus can easily slip through the cracks. COVID-19 is indeed tiny, around 0.1 microns, but it doesn't travel solo. The particle attaches itself to a much larger droplet or aerosol, and studies have shown that good quality cotton masks prevent more than 85% of those particles from escaping. When it comes to do-it-yourself face mask, the key is also the material. If you do them uh, like a uh, two-layer cotton-based fabric uh, mask, would offer quite a good protection. Experts admit there's still much they don't know, but the benefits of masks far outweigh the risks, and in the absence of a vaccine, could be our best weapon. Jeff Semple, Global News, Toronto. Still ahead, survival of the fittest. I had to figure out how to uh, generate revenue for, my, for myself and my family. The business is exercising innovation to stay strong during COVID-19. Plus, wildfire season heats up. Crews take on a blaze that came uncomfortably close to homes. That's next.
Give a shout out. Tag posts with hashtag BC Healthcare Heroes or email BC Healthcare Heroes at globalnews.ca to share with Global News. BC Healthcare Heroes in partnership with Fortis BC, caring for the BC communities where we live and work. Wildfire crews and municipal firefighters now have the upper hand on a fire that broke out last evening in Mill Hill Regional Park in Langford on Vancouver Island. That fire was one of several that ignited yesterday around the province. As Brad McLeod reports, those blazes should serve as a warning as to just how quickly the fire danger in B.C. can escalate from low to extreme. Too close for comfort, really. It's um, pretty unnerving. The fire in Mill Hill Park could be seen for kilometers. But it's this air tanker which caught the attention of residents watching intense smoke just 200 meters from their homes. Right above our heads, watching it all. At around 5 o'clock, we got a call for a uh, fire at the top of uh, Mill Hill. A really challenging spot for us. Firefighting-wise, long way in and uh, no water supply. So we called for a lot of resources to uh, come this way. And resources came from places like Abbotsford. Two helicopters providing water for ground crews, also dumping directly on the fire. And the air tanker creating a barrier between the flames and nearby homes with fire retardant. The park borders on multiple West Shore communities, and the response was a joint one. Langford, of course, uh, Colwood, View Royal, Esquimalt, BC Wildfire Service, and CRD Parks were all here uh, putting this fire down. A handful of fires broke out Tuesday. This was the scene in Merritt. As of Wednesday afternoon, there are six active wildfires in the province. But the BC Fire Centre says, so far, we are on track for an average fire season. We've had cooler conditions, wetter conditions. We've remained in a really low danger rating. And then in the last week, we've experienced a lot of drying. The northern parts of the province with a low fire danger rating, but a different story in the south. So it's between moderate and high in the southern fire centres. So far, no campfire bans in BC. On Mill Hill Wednesday, 30 firefighters helped hold the fire in the blazing heat and they'll be knocking down hot spots for the next four to five days. The park is full of trails and BC Wildfire Services suspects the fire was caused by a person. Investigators are now figuring out exactly how. Brad McLeod, Global News, Langford. Have to remain vigilant, Yvonne, as uh, summer starts to really set in here in B.C. Absolutely. With the dry conditions, a quick update on the fire danger rating. The following areas in yellow or moderate, but we are starting to see it pick up now with a few areas in high in orange, which is high. And we can see that even for the southern tip of Vancouver Island. So please be diligent with your campfires as well as disposing your cigarette butts. And if you do spot a fire, call star 5555. All right. Here's the weather picture. It was fantastic once again today. We had cloud cover this morning. It broke out. Temperatures managed to bump up though once again. We're sitting at 22 but we did see a high of 24 degrees and with the Humidex it felt closer to 29 degrees and now we're still seeing the Humidex feeling like 27 degrees. A bit of a change blip in the forecast overnight. We do have a chance of showers tomorrow morning and then breaks in the cloud cover by the afternoon. Highs closer to 21 degrees and the trend as we get in towards the next two days. Cloud cover with a chance of showers but then those temperatures will start to bump up once again 
again the latter half of the weekend and leading into early next week. The northern half of the province is where we're tracking that wet weather, risk of a thunderstorm for the central interior and pushing in towards the Columbia. Most areas for the south, though, it's cloud cover and a chance of showers for the early morning hours and temperatures will be into the low 20s. Similar weather picture for Friday and then it really does rebound. Sunny, warm approaching the weekend and especially into early next week. Tonight's weather window, a fantastic shot of the sunset that was taken in Tanqua Lake. So thank you so much, Mila. That is beautiful. Thank you, Yvonne. All right, Squire, what do you have to say for yourself? Hmm. <laughs> Sounds threatening. Um, well, we will show you what happened at the uh, Canucks' latest scrimmage. That's what I have to say. It was white against blue. And during this game, we saw something the Canucks would love to see against Minnesota. A productive Michael Furlan. Nice goal. And later, Believe BC, the fitness entrepreneur, is finding new ways to stay fit despite pandemic precautions. Well, just before we get to Squire, it looks like we will find out Thursday morning what the new NHL team in Seattle will be called. Let's haul back. The official Twitter account for NHL Seattle released this slickly produced video with the title July 23rd, 2020, 9 a.m. The 32nd franchise comes to life. The nautically themed video ending with a fish boat pulling up a catch that is familiar to any hockey fan. The Seattle red light. It doesn't have a ring to it. We'll find out tomorrow at 9, apparently, Square. Uh, well, a couple of years ago, I think the Seattle Times did a poll. And in the reader's poll, the uh, choice was sockeyes. The Seattle sockeyes or the Seattle salmon. Could be another one. Could be kraken. And the emeralds, apparently, is another one. I like kraken. There you go. And then the crowd can yell, let's get kraken. See? <laughs> Pretty much writes itself. The uh, Canucks held another scrimmage today, splitting the teams into two, obviously. Jacob Markstrom had another good day. Looks to be getting in the form. Uh, the likely number one line of Pedersen to Foley and Miller were together on Team White, which won this scrimmage 5-2. to two. So let's take a look at some of the highlights from this afternoon. There's uh, Travis Green, masked up. Team White, this is the, uh, this is the number one line, and that's to Foley's goal right there on Thatcher Demko, and then Cole Lynn, the former Rocket, goes upstairs. Team Blue only scored twice. Brock Besser, who we talked about yesterday, he says he's faster. Nice little pass there to Bo Horvat. Jake Vertanen gets a goal here. The play was started by Quinn Hughes. Vertanen off the post and in, and the last goal we'll show you is where Toffoli gives the puck away to Bo Horvat, who then gives it to Michael Furlan. Looks like he might pass, but goes short side instead. But this is a tough ice they're playing on. I think the pace is pretty high. The ice is, I don't know if you guys can tell, but the ice is pretty bad. Um, yeah. You're digging in really deep. It's hard on the hips and backs for sure. So we're trying to uh, stay healthy, stay quick, you know, try to keep our shift short. Um, so just trying to deal with, uh, you know, we're spending a lot of time on the ice right now. So we got to get used to that going, especially when we go to the hub. The only way the Vancouver Whitecaps will have a chance of staying in this MLS tournament is to beat Chicago tomorrow morning by at least two goals. Then they might qualify 
as a third place team in the knockout round. Other things have to happen, but anything less than a two goal win and Vancouver is out. And when they play Chicago in a game that will start at 6 a.m. our time, their starting keeper will be 21 year old Thomas Hassall, who is from Saskatchewan, Saskatoon, came into the game against Seattle on Sunday after Max Crapo was injured, played 32 minutes, made one nice save, didn't allow a goal, and when the game was over, his phone blew up. Actually, a lot of the messages I got were from a ton of people in Saskatchewan, friends, family, of course, and then different soccer communities within the province, whether it's a small club I played for, um, high school teachers, the provincial teams. It's such a small, tight-knit community that I had. Uh, players I played with on the youth team, the players I played with on the men's teams there, the university, everyone messaging me. So it was something really special to come from a smaller place and do this. Okay, the Toronto Blue Jays still don't have a home park to play in. They can't play in Toronto because of concerns about American teams coming to town. And today, Pittsburgh said no to them sharing a stadium with the Pirates. So as of right now, Toronto is trying to find another option. But it's starting to look more and more like they may have to play every one of these 60 regular season games on the road. That might be the only option left because the season will start Friday in Tampa Bay. Liverpool haven't lost a Premiership game at home in three years. Of course, they already are the champions taking on Chelsea. Trent Alexander-Arnold, great free kick goal there to make it 2-0 in the 38th minute. Christian Pusilic made it 4-3 at that point. Chelsea rallying, but they didn't win this one. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain with a goal 5-3. Chelsea still has a chance, though, to make the Champions League for next year. They just need one more point. As for Manchester United, they were taking on West Ham. West Ham scored in a penalty kick in the first half. Nice passing here from Martial and Mason Greenwood. Greenwood finishes it off 1-1. Man United also needs just one point in their final game against Leicester City to make the Champions League. But if Leicester City beats them, they go into the Champions League. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. Tonight's healthcare hero is just ahead, plus an exercise in creativity. How fit the fitness industry is surviving the pandemic. Program is brought to you in part by Believe BC. Together is now. It is time to recognize another one of our healthcare heroes bravely battling BC's COVID-19 pandemic. Tonight's nomination comes from Braden McMillan, who has nominated his dad, Dean McMillan, after working in medical imaging for more than 26 years. Dean just retired from his position at Vernon Jubilee Hospital last Friday. Congratulations, Dean. He started out as an x-ray technician, then went on to become an ultrasound technician, working in Saskatoon until 2006 when the family moved to BC. Since then, he's been working at Vernon Jubilee Hospital. Dean has worked through SARS, H1N1, and now COVID-19. And here's a fun fact. Not only is he a dedicated healthcare professional, he's also dedicated to healthy living, biking to work every single day possible of his career, including throughout the winter months, which can get very wintry in Vernon. Dean, your son Braden wanted you to know you are his healthcare hero. And he also had a 
special shout out to his mom, Sharon, who also just retired after 41 years working as a health information analyst. We want to thank you for your dedication to BC during this pandemic. If you have a BC Healthcare Hero you'd like to see recognized, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Send us some pictures and details about why they are your hero, and we just might feature them next. Well, between being cooped up at home and the fear of the so-called COVID-15, many people use the pandemic closures as an opportunity to work on their fitness. Eager to meet that demand were a number of gyms, trainers, and other fitness companies that quickly pivoted to offer alternatives to a regular workout. Ted Chernecki reports. Call it the COVID two-step. Businesses have been having to dance around all kinds of obstacles ever since the pandemic arrived. I probably dropped probably 70 to 75 percent of my clientele and just from work. Um, from there, I, I had to figure out how to uh, generate revenue for, my, for myself and my family. All right, guys, let's get into it. So, working from his condo with a very supportive wife and some understanding kids, he went online and offered his services in the virtual world. And yes, there were many obstacles in the way. I was doing exercise and I actually uh, smashed my TV with one of my pieces of equipment. So that was uh, something that was uh, a lesson learned for sure. Ouch, but it was the price to pay to the point he's found a whole new clientele. I've been actually lucky enough to train other people virtually from other parts of the world, from uh, Germany, from Toronto, from California, you know, from the comfort of my own living room. You know what, we're just giving um, our clients just uh, the ability to come in and... Ah, thank God for days like these. Yeah, you can see we've, uh, we've moved our bikes out onto the patio here and, and um, it's awesome. Method cycling in West Vancouver took an enormous hit when COVID arrived. Membership is still down because of the space required between exercise bikes. But who knew so many people would yearn for exercise? The one good thing with this is uh, a lot of people are turning to fitness. A lot of the cycling industry has just gone absolutely crazy. A lot of people on bikes. Um, so we've taken our indoor services and gone outside. We're doing private rides with people outdoors. We're doing everything we can to keep our customer healthy and fit. It was Darwin who came up with the term survival of the fittest in a pandemic, evolve your business or risk extinction. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Makes me tired just looking at those bikes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Yvonne, final word on the weather. Uh, more cloud cover rolling in, and then we'll see a chance of showers both Tuesday, Thursday and Friday morning. Just a sprinkle or two won't be much, and then it really does start to rebound. We're back into summer temperatures by the weekend. Good timing. All right, that's all the time we have for tonight. Have a good evening, everyone.